Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. that can ruin friendships. We're going to talk about those today, and like I said, they're worse than a virus, worse than a plague. What we're going to talk about today can not only ruin a friendship, but I'll even take it a step farther, can ruin relationships, can ruin marriages. Uh, Even in addition to that, it can ruin churches. I've known churches ruined by this virus. Uh, I've known families ruined by this virus. And it can start off so small, it can be like a plague that just starts off so small, but it can grow and it, it can infect all of us. No one's exempt from it. If we don't take this virus or this plague seriously when it's small, it will grow and it will cause a lot of destruction. It, and it always does. Now, I've been in the ministry 32 plus years and I've seen what we're going to talk about today ruin more than friendships. I've seen it literally ruin churches. I, I've seen it ruin marriages left and right, up and down, like, like all day long. And it's something that we can deal with. As Christians, it's something that we can actually deal with and we can see it and, and we can and actually apply biblical principles to working through this. And sometimes when we talk about this church, I'm going to say this too on the front end here too, sometimes when people say, well, well, pastor, what you're talking about today that's just the way I was raised. This is the way my parents were. Every church pastor I've gone to has suffered with this virus and suffered with this plague. That's just the way it is. Listen, church, just because you were raised this way, just because your parents were like this, just because your last church was like this, doesn't make it right. Okay? And what we're going to talk about today, just because you're used to being around it, just because you're used to the drama of it, doesn't make it right. It just doesn't make it right. And it's something that we can talk about, something we can deal with. And what we're talking about today in friendships is the topic of bitterness. And I'm going to use the word bitterness, and I'm also going to use a, a word that we probably use more today called resentment. I think they're very closely related. But bitterness or resentment, very, very powerful issues. And, and listen, church, if you, if you haven't ever been affected by bitterness, just, <laughs> just stay seated long enough and put your seatbelts on because... It's coming, and if, you, if, if you're not been affected by it yesterday, you're not dealing with it today, tomorrow's a new day, and bitterness may creep up and may be something you have to deal with. So take your Bible. If you got your Bible today, this is a very, very, very important topic that we talk about. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth is in the Old Testament, the small book, uh, uh, kind of towards the, no, I was going to say towards the middle, but not really. But uh, look in your concordance there for the book of Ruth. And uh, you can see it, it's on your verse sheet there, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to start literally with the beginning of this book. We're not going to do the whole book, it's a short book, but we're going to look at the beginning, the first chapter, because we're going to talk about a lady who dealt with bitterness, and it really caused some problems, big problems, okay? Let's take a look at it. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. So what was there in the land, church? What was it? There was a what? A famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, 
he and his wife and his two sons. So church, what is in the land? There's a what? There's a famine. Now, just, can I pause for a second? <laughs> oh boy. We're not getting done till 3 o'clock today. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> church, listen. Just because there's a famine in the land does not mean that you have to make a decision to move out of the land. And this is what this couple did. There's a famine, we're going to move. Now, just because there's a famine doesn't mean that you're forced to make any decisions. Now, this woman here, uh, Naomi, and, and her husband, we're going to be introduced to them here, they decide to leave, and they decide, as you see in this verse, they go to a, a, a country called Moab, okay? Now, they're very close to each other geographically. They're not far away from each other. But um, it's interesting, and we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but over here in the left-hand side of your Bible, God told the people, the Hebrew children, to listen, I don't want you going to Moab, and I don't want your kids marrying their kids, okay? They're, they're trouble, okay? It's bad. It's just they've got different gods. They, they worship things differently. They do, they're very pagan. Stay away from Moab, all right? It's pretty simple instruction. And, and you say, yeah, but, but pastor, there's a famine in the land. Time out, time out. Sometimes, church, God allows a famine in the land or a uncomfortableness in the land or a tightness in the land to work his great work and to do his great things, okay? Maybe God had a plan and wanted there to be a famine in the land for some reason. Maybe it's God's plan. Maybe he needed change in the nation. How about this? Maybe he needed to see some repentance in their nation and then use a famine to get their attention, Maybe God's doing that in the United States right now, possibly. I'm not saying he is, but just because there's a famine in the land, okay, maybe God's going to use this, right? Go down to verse 2. And the name of the man, so here's, here's the husband, Elimelech, that's his name, and the name of his wife, Naomi. So we're going to be talking about Naomi, the wife. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilon, uh, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. So that's where they live. And they came into the country of Moab. So where did they go? They went to Moab. And they continued there. Verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left. And her two sons. Verse 4. And they took them. Uh-oh. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Now wait a second. I thought they weren't supposed to do that. Eh, they weren't supposed to do that. Okay. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Verse 5. Could you, what, hold on. Take your pen, would you please? Would you underline ten years? Would you just do that so we can come back and look at it? Just remind me. If I forget, Jamie, you're right here in the front. I don't, what are you doing in the front? You're not supposed to sit in the front. You always sit in the back. You're messing me up today. Jamie, if I forget to talk about ten years, remind me, okay? Okay, all right. He's like, I ain't going to remind you. <laughs> Verse 5. And Malon and Chilon died also, both of them. So who died? The sons died. And the women was left of her two sons and her husband. So not only does Naomi lose her husband, now she loses her sons. Church, can we pause for a second? Is this rough on her? She just moved from her country because of a famine. She's living where she's not supposed to be living. Her husband dies and her two boys die. So she's left with what? Her two daughter-in-laws in a foreign land. Is this easy for her? This is not easy. No, verse 6. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So, <laughs> wait a second. Now she's over here. Now she's saying, well, wait a second. I guess the famine's not too bad back at home. Like, like God's taking care of his people. Like, these people aren't starving after all. How about that? Verse 7. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. So they're going to pick up mom and the two daughter-in-laws, and they're going to go back home to Judah. Verse 8. And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So you've been good daughters-in-law. I appreciate you, but why don't you go back to your people? Verse 9. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of the husband, of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. So there's going to be a, a departing here. They're going to go their way. That's what she's wanting. Verse 10. And they said unto her, Surely we'll return with the end of their people. Now, so far it's really sweet. Isn't that nice? I mean, it's a nice conversation. Does everybody agree with me? So far it's sweet. And just, well, why don't you just go back home? You know, okay. Something changes right here. Verse 11. Follow with me. Here we go. Notice the tone. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have, I have a hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. Verse 13. Would ye tarry for them till they are grown? Would you stay for them for having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes. Okay, you with me so far? Is she getting a little sarcastic? Listen, I'm old. I'm not getting married. Even if I got married tonight, are you going to wait around for my boys to grow up so you can marry them? Like, get out of here, all right? Do you see the tone here? It's changing. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Church, look at the end of verse 13. That the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Ooh, boy. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're starting to see into her heart. We're starting to see the heart of mom here, Naomi. She has got bitterness. She's got resentment in her heart. God has done me wrong. We start to see this. Now, now, church, remember, can we pause for a second? Remember last week in our study on friendology, remember we talked about what you say is a picture of what's in your heart? So don't, don't tell me, oh, I love Jesus, you know, <laughs> but your, your mouth says something different. Because regardless of that, your mouth is a snapshot of your soul, okay? And what you say is a picture of what you're thinking. She can't hide it, verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah, that's the daughter, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So Orpah says, okay, I'll leave. Ruth says, I'll stay. Verse 15. And she said, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back to her people, and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Verse 16. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God... My God. Now, this is pretty astonishing that Ruth will say this about her bitter mother-in-law, who we're going to see, she, she's got a problem, church. She's got a real problem. Verse 17, where thou diest, I will die, and, where, and, and there will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also if I put, uh, 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 if aught put death, part thee and me. Verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly mindled to go with her, 
Then she left speaking unto her. So Naomi says, Mom says, fine, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Verse 19. So they, the, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, now look at what the townspeople said when she gets back home. She gets back home, look what they say. Is this Naomi? Remember, Naomi's the mom. Is this Naomi? So it's been years since she's been there. How many years has it been, church? Ten years. Now, not only did her countenance change some, I mean, her, her physical appearance, in ten years, I don't know if it changes that much that you wouldn't recognize someone. Pastor Dan, what do you think changed? I think her countenance changed. I, I think they are starting to see with their eyes how bitterness has affected this woman. This isn't the Naomi that we once knew. This isn't the lady we is. Are you sure that you're Naomi? This, this, does, this doesn't look like this person. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, now, now no offense, okay? No offense. Don't take this offensive, all right? Promise me you won't take this offensive. But it's like someone that smokes, all right? And if you smoke, you know that, okay, it's something you can work on. I get it. Smoking's not going to send you to hell, all right? Just relax, all right? You, you smell like you've been to hell, but it's not going to send you to hell, all right? Don't worry about it. But someone that smokes thinks that they can hide it from other people that don't smoke, right? People that don't smoke, can a smoker hide their smoking? No, of course they can't. You know, there's no way. Someone who doesn't smoke can, can tell a smoker from a mile, mile away. This is the same thing with this woman. You know, she's, she's trying to think that she's going to hide it like, well, I'm just the same person. And the townspeople are looking going, mm, no, you're, you're, something's different about you. This isn't the person that we knew. Something has changed with you. Verse 20, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Hmm. For the Almighty hath dealt, look at the next four words, very bitterly with me. Interesting, the name Mara means bitterness. So she goes from a person who means pleasant to a person who means bitter. She says it. She says, call me bitter. Call me resentment. That's my new name now. Just call me Mrs. Bitterness. That's what, and, and notice what she says. Look what she says. She blames God right away. She's very bitter. God has dealt bitterly with me. She, she accuses God of this. Verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, church, is there any, is there any question right now about her attitude? I mean, are, are you struggling with her attitude right now? No. You see exactly who she is, and she, yeah, she is bitterness. This is, this is, she named herself good, Mara. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So this person, Naomi, she is dealing with resentment. She's dealing with bitterness. It's, it's this grudge or this issue that gets deep inside, and there's a problem, and you don't deal with it. Let me ask a question. Have any of you ever had a small cut, maybe a small sliver, and it got infected to where you had to go to a doctor to get it dealt with? Just see your raise hand. Anyone have a small, something like that? Okay, sure. I've known people that had a small uh, infection on their foot, and they've had their foot amputated because they didn't deal with it. How you don't deal with it, I don't know. Uh, I've had it where, you know, you've got a sliver from working outside, and, and next thing you know, it didn't really bother you. Next thing you know, it's just swollen, and it's awful, and it's painful, and you've got to go get it cut open. Yeah, sure enough. And that's the same thing here with bitterness. It starts off small, and it, it, because it's not dealt with, it gets worse. This happens in churches all the time. 
well, I got offended because so-and-so didn't talk to me. And they don't deal with it. They don't talk to that person. They don't look at that person anymore. And it keeps going and going and growing and going. And before long, that person says, well, fine, I'm not even going to that church anymore because everybody in that church is against me. <laughs> and everyone's looking around going, what? Against you for what? Well, don't you remember two years ago someone looked at me wrong? No, we don't remember that. <laughs> but, but in their world, it's the whole world. Everybody's against me and everybody's, you know, got me, you know, my name. No one's got your, no one's even thinking about you. I mean, get off your prideful attitude, okay? Just get off that horse. Don't ride that one anymore, okay? You need to deal with it. Oh, Naomi doesn't do, deal with it. So I wrote down a couple things here. Uh, I want you to write this down. If you got notes there, help me out on this. Let's move quickly. So why was Naomi bitter? Well, I've got five things here. And in the effort of, of being a true Baptist, all five things start with the letter D. Uh, normally, <laughs> I don't do that, but this is the way this one is. So uh, first one, why was Naomi bitter, and why could we get bitter? Well, number one, a lot of times, dissatisfaction with just life in general. If we go back to verse 1 and 2, you know, we see there that they're upset. They're, they're, they're going to leave Israel, uh, Judah, and they're going to go to Moab. Uh, interesting to note, it talks about the husband saying we're going to leave, but notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that his wife is against it. It doesn't. She's probably for it. I mean, they're all going together. She doesn't fight him on it. She doesn't argue with it. She's dissatisfied with life. There must be something better in this other country. Life here is so terrible that there must be something better. Church, one of the, one of the chief ingredients of bitterness is just being dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied with my husband. I'm dissatisfied with my wife. I'm dissatisfied with my job. I'm dissatisfied with my church. I'm just dissatisfied with things. And I just know the grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> my, mom, my mom used to say, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side because there's a septic field over there. That's why it's greener. And, and, she, and she had dissatisfaction, okay? And, and they're just dissatisfied with the way things were. You know, church, sometimes just enough is enough and things are okay and it's not that big of a deal, all right? God brings famine in the land. I mean, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, it doesn't say that millions of people died. It doesn't say anything about it. It just said there was a famine in the land. Side note, side note, Moab isn't that far away from Judah. So if it was a weather thing, if it wasn't raining in Judah, it probably wasn't raining in Moab either. All right? I mean, it, 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 if you look at Israel, it fits inside the state of Wisconsin. All right? So it's not like we're talking like, you know, millions of miles. We're talking, you know, hundreds of miles difference here. It's not that big of a deal. We think about in the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are there literally, literally walking with God every day. They are walking with God, holding hands, walking with God. They have got the entire world is theirs. Everything in the world is theirs. Everything's perfect. There's no sin, right? And they're walking with God. And one day, one day, Eve is walking out there by herself. And, and God said, listen, you got, the whole, you got the whole world here, okay? Everything's yours. Except there's one tree. I just don't want you to eat from the one tree, all right? They have the entire world but there's one tree I don't want you to eat. Eve goes over there and she finds the one tree that you're not supposed to eat from. And what is she? She's dissatisfied because Satan told her, eh, God's a killjoy. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God's holding back from you. She's dissatisfied with the entire world that's perfect. She's literally walking with God every day. But I'm dissatisfied because there's one thing I can't have. It's just not good enough. God's a killjoy. The church isn't a whole lot different than we are sometimes, and this is, how, this is how Naomi was. How about this one? Second reason I think that Naomi was bitter was because just of the death of a loved one. Look at verse 3. Uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, 
And then we go down to verse 5, we see the sons die, and that's very hard, and I've never had that where a close family member died. Both of my parents and my wife's parents are still alive. We praise the Lord for that. But it's a struggle. A lot of you have had close family members die. And the death of a loved one is really easy for us to get bitter because it's really easy to accuse God. God, why did you take my dad? Why did you take my mom? <laughs> There's a lot of other jerks in the world. Why didn't you take them? <laughs> right? Why do the good people die? Why do the bad people keep living? That's what I always want to know, right? And it's real easy to accuse God. You know, church, is nothing wrong with wondering. Huh, I wonder. But when we have that attitude of, of accusing, when, especially when something unexpected like this happens, we don't see the big picture of it, and, and she, she's not okay with it. She's bitter because, God, you took my husband, and you took my sons. That wasn't right. You have been bitter again. You treated me differently. That's not right, church. And, and a death of a loved one can very, very seriously bring about bitterness. How about this one, number three? She had distanced herself from God's people. This is a powerful one. Look at verse 4. And they took them wives of the woman of Moab, the name of one Orpah and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about 10 years. Church, how long did they dwell there? Did the famine last 10 years? It did not last 10 years. What are they doing in Moab? They distanced themselves from the very people they should have been with. They, they should have been with family. They should have been with people that worship the same gods. Instead, what they did is they chose the wrong friendship. Interesting note, they chose the wrong friendships. They chose to move to Moab. It was not God's doing. Whose fault was it? You move there, it's your fault. But the deal was this, they distanced themselves from the people they should have been with. Now, church, this happens a lot of times in Christianity. <laughs> when things don't go our way, we have a hard time. We have a hard time at work. We have a hard time with our family. We have a hard time financially. And what happens is we distance ourselves from our church. Well, I'm just so busy because we had a death in the family and because I lost my job and I have financial issues and, and work's just taking so much. And the thing that we scratch off our to-do list or our calendar is church. Church, listen. When times get hard... You scratch anything else off your calendar, but don't scratch church off your calendar, okay? When times are hard, you need to be here the most, not the least. Well, I'm just so busy. I got so many things. Look at my to-do list. All these things I got to do. Oh, I just, oh, life is hard. I don't have time for church. You don't have time not to be in church. And, and, and the reason she was bitter was because she had distanced herself from the very people that God wanted her with. The people who, who worship God the same way she did. And I know people say this all the time. Say, well, well, you know, church isn't perfect. Christians aren't perfect. There are no churches that are perfect. You know, there are no Christians that are perfect. Get off your high horse. Get off that uh, expecting perfection of your local church. Okay? I've had people say this to me, and it just it irritates me. Well, you know, I went to the church, and church wasn't perfect, so I just had a bad experience at church. I'm not going to church anymore. Now, I am not going to see you raise your hands. Do not raise your hands. But ask yourself in your mind, in your mind, have you had a bad experience with a church? And your hand probably goes up. Let me ask this question too, while you're thinking about that. Have you ever had a bad experience at a restaurant? Raise your hand if you had a bad experience at a restaurant. Okay, all of you. You, you still go to restaurants, don't you? You haven't given up on restaurants. By looking out in the audience, I could tell that none of us have <laughs> given up on restaurants, sure. Why, why do we give up on God's church? 
Well, because the people there aren't perfect. Yeah, well, you're not either. <laughs> you know, don't, don't be like that. Not all churches, not everyone in your church is going to be your best friend. It doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that the church is going to be perfect. It doesn't say anywhere in the New Testament that everyone at church is going to be your best friend. It doesn't say anywhere in church that, or in the New Testament that, that church is just going to, you know, fix all of your problems. What Naomi was dealing with was a severe lack of fellowship, okay? We need to be in church. Interesting, in the last days, what does Hebrews say? When you see the day approaching, not less, but what's it say? More. Which means what, church? When the end times are coming and life's going to be harder and there's going to be more restrictions, get off your high horse and get into church, no matter what. Because the Bible says, you better be there. It's going to be real easy to get bitter. It's going to be real easy to be prideful and real easy to be separated from where you need to be. How about this one, number four? Number four, why was Naomi bitter? Well, I think a disappointment. She was disappointed in her choice. Disappointed in her choice. She, <laughs> she made a decision to go to Moab, and it wasn't a good decision. And she finally realizes, well, wait a second. God's taking care of the people back in my homeland, and I moved to Moab. Oh, another bad decision. And I think she probably went through that. She'd be like, well, I just keep making bad decisions. And she's probably very bitter and very frustrated about this. And now my, my husband dies, and if I would have taken him to a different doctor, he probably would have lived. And my son's died, and if, and if we hadn't, you know, gone where we went or did where we did, who knows how they died. But she's probably thinking through that whole thing. And, and she's, she's, just, she's just going through it that I've made really bad choices. And she's very disappointed in the choices that she's made. In church, a lot of times, the places we are in our life, and I want you to get this, is because of the result of choices that we have made. Yes, yes, church, outside people can inflict circumstances on you. Yes, absolutely. A lot of things maybe have happened to some of you that you couldn't control, absolutely, no doubt. But we are still in charge of how we respond to those situations, okay? And a lot of times, oh, gee, pastor, things happen for a reason. Yeah, and sometimes those reasons are because you made a really bad choice. All right, you shouldn't have moved to Moab. You shouldn't have. Why, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. And, and she let that poison just kind of embitter her soul, and, and, and she's made these bad decisions, and now she's bitter about it. And, and we make good decisions, we make bad decisions, but this is just a, a terrible thing. I had a pastor friend of mine, uh, a, a guy, a great preacher, uh, tell me he was visiting a friend of his in the hospital, and, and the friend had lung cancer. And the guy was laying there in bed, ready to die. And he, was, he was older. He was, I guess, like in his 70s or something. And, and, and he says, this is what the guy says, I cannot believe that God did this to me. The pastor said, this is a true story. The pastor said, well, I don't know if God did this to you. You've been a chain smoker since you're 16. Well, that's not, not to pick on smokers, but I'm just telling you the truth, right? And so, and so wait a second. Did God do this to me, or is this a result of the choices that I made, Right? That I put myself in this position. And, and this guy was ready to, you know, how could, how could you let me have lung cancer? And God's up there going, well, don't, don't touch me. I didn't have anything to do with that one. You did that one all on your own. And this woman, she got to Moab all on her own. Okay? She, she brought the family. She made that decision. Well, people do it all the time. Well, I left the church, or I left the Christian school, or I do this, you know. And then they come back years later. Why did God let my family turn out to be such a mess? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe because you made some really bad decisions. Maybe that, because you don't go to church anymore? Maybe, maybe. How about this one, number five? And this is the, probably the saddest of the whole thing. The saddest of all the reasons. Number, number five here is 
is she's disillusioned with God. This is sad. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay with them for having husbands? Remember, she's talking to the daughters here. Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Verse 20. Look at the end. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Look at verse 21. Ready? Verse 21. Look at it. I went out full. Hogwash. You didn't go out full. The reason you left your hometown was because you said you were starving. You didn't leave Judah full. You said there's no food. You, you, you were disillusioned with God's plan for his people, what God's plan uh, uh, for, for, for the Hebrew children, what he was going to do. Don't blame God for this. Look at the, And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. No, 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 no. You, 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 you said you were hungry when you left. You said there wasn't enough. God wasn't doing enough for you. God wasn't good enough for you. You left because you were disillusioned with God. Don't be blaming this on God. You're the one that left. You're disillusioned with God's plan for, for what he was going to do. You said there was a famine and that you were hungry, and that's why you left. You didn't leave full. So she feels cursed, you know, the hand of God there. And, and, and if you go down, you look even at verse 15 and stuff. She said, God wants worse for me. And, and there's just an ugly spirit here, an act of bitterness here. And, and it just doesn't matter. Church, let me just remind us all of something very clearly. I want you to get this. And if we get one thing from today's message on bitterness, I want you to get this. Okay? Is God good, yes or no? <laughs> well, okay, six of you believe it. That's great. Wonderful. Let's try it one more time. Is God good? Okay, yeah, excellent. Someone said always right. God is good, amen? All the time. And all the time, God is good. So if I said God is good, you would say all the time. And all the time, that, that's the truth. Now, Naomi, you forgot that. You were disillusioned with God. You forgot that God had a plan for you. You forgot that God had a purpose for your family. You forgot that God had a purpose for, for your people. And church, listen, it's not so much what happens to us, but the problem with Naomi with how, is how she responded, how she, she failed to trust God. She didn't trust God. She's disillusioned with God's plan for her. Because last time I checked, God is good all the time, right? Always. God never forgets about his people. She felt like it. Interesting to note, though, could, could you, if you have your Bible, just flip over a page to the right, Go to chapter 4. Let's just look at the end of the story and let's be done today, okay? Because I think it's important that we not only talk about her bitterness, but I think it's important to remember that God is good all the time, that all the time God is good. Because the story actually ends years later on a good note. On a good note because God's always good, okay? And God hasn't forgotten his people. And God hasn't forgotten Naomi. Naomi made bad decisions. Naomi was disillusioned with God's plan for her life. But God hadn't forgotten about Naomi. If we go down to the end of, uh, or the, the beginning of, of chapter 4 there, the end of the book there, I'll, I'll give you the real quick story. The real quick story is this, and this is the part of the story that everyone always focuses on. There's Naomi, the, the mom, right? And there's a daughter-in-law, Ruth, and, and basically she's out working in a farm field one day, Remember, she's a Moabite, right? She's a Moabite. And remember, they weren't supposed to marry the Moabites. Remember that whole thing? 
well, there's a guy there in the field there, the, the Hebrew, and, and he, his name is Boaz, and he sees her and says, wow, this would be great. Maybe this would work out. Maybe I could marry her. Long story made very short. He ends up marrying her, and it's a wonderful love story, and you could read about it sometime if you feel like, you know, reading it and crying on like a Hallmark channel. You could do that. It's just wonderful. <laughs> Go down to verse 16. Let's see the result of their marriage. Verse 16, and Naomi, so, so Ruth has a child, right? Naomi, grandma, takes the child. So Naomi takes the child and lays it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. So grandma, Naomi, remember the one that was bitter? She gets to babysit and raise this child. That's what it says. Right? She, gets to, she gets to be the nurse to this child. Well, that's just a cool thing right there. But here's what's really cool. And, and you can't forget about this wonderful part of the story. Because a lot of times, I don't think we read verse 17. But it's a wonderful story. Take a look at it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, there's a son born to Naomi. So, right, the, the grandson there. And they called his name, what? Obed. Why? Because he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, can you look at the very last few words of that thing? Now, think about this story. Now, think about it. The neighbors say, oh, this is wonderful. Ruth had a baby. Naomi is going to help raise the baby. That's great. And this baby is going to be the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, you're probably all sitting there, if you, if you haven't studied the Old Testament, you're going, well, who's Jesse and who's David? Well, we all know who Jesse was. We, or, well, maybe you don't. We know David is. Maybe you don't. David is going to be the king of Israel. But even bigger, even bigger than the most known king of Israel is what? What's so interesting about being uh, uh, the grand, which this baby would be the grandfather of Jesse and, and, and David. What's the big deal about it? That's the bloodline of Jesus. Now think about that. Isn't that an amazing story? So, so here's, here is, here's this woman that disobeyed God, that left the land. The kids weren't supposed to marry into the Moab people. And, and there's a Moabitess, and, and she comes back. They come back to the land. She's bitter. She gets married. And of all people she marries... This baby is now included in the bloodline of Jesus, which tells me what? Jesus came for all people. Amen? Even the Moabites, even those people that God said don't be with them. Yeah, but they're now part of the bloodline of Jesus. And Naomi, she sticks it out long enough. She doesn't quit. She had a grudge. She had dissatisfaction. She had disobedience. There's death in her family. She's disappointed. She's disillusioned with God. God, where are you? But God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And God continues to work in this family. And because of that, their, their child, Naomi's grandson, is in the bloodline of Jesus. He's, if you could say it this way, it's like Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather is this son. Just an amazing, amazing story. So church, hold off. If you're ever disillusioned with God or you're bitter with God or you think, you know, God hasn't been fair or God hasn't treated me right or, or there's been a death in your family and this is, just isn't the way it's supposed to be and you're, you're upset with the whole thing, hold on, okay? Just be patient because maybe God isn't done yet with your family. Amen, church? Now, if, you got a, if you have a beef with God, well, God... How come? You know, this isn't fair. How come? That's not, no one treated me right. How come? Here's what I want you to do. If you got a beef with God, if you have a beef with God, if you have something that you just want to, you know, whatever, I need to state my case. 
Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay, now don't laugh at this. I'm serious right now. I'm just going to, if you have a beef with God, I'm going to ask you to trust God. And I'm going to ask you to wait until you get to heaven. And then when you get to heaven, you can state your case. All right? Is that fair enough? So down here on earth, okay, I'm disillusioned. I'm upset. I'm going to zip my lip. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to get over it. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, how did you? Why did you? And you you could state your case when you get to heaven. Does that sound fair enough? And you're all kind of sitting there laughing, saying, "Uh, I don't think I'll be able to state my case in heaven. Yeah, I don't think you will. Why not? Because in heaven, you'll see the whole picture. See, when Naomi was going through this, it was like a puzzle. Now, if you ever put together a puzzle, imagine it's hard enough to put together a puzzle when you see it the right way, but our life down here on earth is kind of like the puzzle being upside down. Because it doesn't make sense to us, right? Now, why did my kids die? Why is there famine in the land? Why did this happen? Why don't people, why am I bitter? And, and all the puzzle pieces come together, but, but it doesn't make sense. I don't know how these go. How is this going to fit? What's this going to look like? And it doesn't make sense down here on earth because we only see with earthly eyes. We only see what we see. But in heaven, you'll flip that puzzle over if you can kind of imagine it that way. And then you'll say, oh, I get it. I see it. It makes sense now. I understand for the rest of eternity that God is good and that all the time... I get it now. Why? Because you'll see with eternity's eyes, you'll see with spiritual eyes, I understand what God was doing. I couldn't understand it on earth, but I get it now. I I totally understand it now, and God is good all the time. And there was no reason for me to be bitter. There was no reason for me to be disillusioned. There was no reason for me to be upset with God. There just was no reason because God is good all the time. And God was working in my life, and God allowed this bad thing to happen. God allowed this famine. God allowed this COVID-19. God allowed this death. I'm often frustrated sometimes. So many people blame God. You know, at church, it's not always God that allows stuff like that. I mean, He allows it. But can we sometimes give the devil some credit? Right? I mean, Job, you know, Job said, you know, that whole story with Job. You read the story in Job in the Bible. God allowed the devil to work in Job's life, and it was pretty nasty. His whole family died, lost everything he had. Stop giving all the credit to God for bad things, okay? (laughs) Maybe it's the devil that God's allowed just to work in your life, but always remembering that God is still good all the time, and all the time God is good. When we get to heaven, we'll see that, we'll understand it, that God was working in my life when I couldn't see it, I couldn't make sense, but for the rest of eternity, think about this, the rest of eternity, the rest of eternity will say, oh yeah, oh yeah, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He never left me, never forsake me. And there was no reason for me to be bitter. There just was no reason for me to go down that path. No reason at all. Church, bitterness can ruin your friendship, can ruin your marriage, can ruin your church relationships. It could, it's, it's a miserable way to live. It's just a miserable way to live. Don't let bitterness get in the way of your friendships, of your marriage and, and your family. Don't let bitterness get in the way of church. If you've got something you're struggling with, if you got something that you're just upset about, would you just talk? Just talk to some people. Talk to some of the people in the church. Talk to some of the, the leaders in the church. Just deal with it. Talk to the person that's offending you. Talk to that spouse or their friendship or their relationship. And just deal with it. Because being bitter is a terrible, terrible way to live. It's frustrating. It obviously makes you age more because in 10 years, they didn't even recognize this woman. Bitterness really affected her. 
And when I look out in the crowd, we, we need all the help we can get, church. That's all I can say. We, we don't want to be bitter to get any uglier because we're all going downhill. You're a preacher included. It's just <laughs> Stop! Hey, listen, aren't you glad for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here? Look at this verse. If you've never seen this verse, it's awesome. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, when the fact that we're a sinner and we have a debt to pay, God said, you, you can't pay that debt, but God said, I'll pay the debt for you. All you have to do is believe. Now, a lot of churches, a lot of uh, religious people will say, you have to do something to help God pay for that sin. No, if you, if you had to help God, it wouldn't be God, right? And do you really think God needs your help? No, of course he doesn't. Look at this verse over here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What's that middle part say right there? That whosoever does some good things? No. Whosoever gets baptized? No. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that salvation is a free gift apart from, apart from any works on our part. I just thought of a good use for my mask, finally. Here it is. Pretend for a moment that this hands me and you. Pretend that this mask is all the bad things we've done. Finally, a good use for a mask. An actual practical use for the mask that actually does something. Rare, there you go. But just pretend. So we've all got sin. Pretend just for a moment this hands God. God's in heaven. There's no mask in heaven. Amen. <laughs> There's no sin in heaven. But the Bible says that sin is what keeps us from going to heaven. Why? Because heaven's perfect. But we've all done bad things. God said, here's the deal. I love you. Oh, but I hate the sin. Romans says this, the wages, the cost, the payment for that sin, the mortgage payment for that is death. Separation from God forever in a place called hell. And that's no joke. The Bible talks more about hell than it does about heaven. Forever. You will pay that mortgage for that sin forever. And God said, I don't want that because I love you so much. God's inviting us to go to heaven. I want you to be in heaven, but all I want you to do is just believe. I just want you to trust, depend, rely upon the fact that my son Jesus, whoops, when he died on the cross, that when he died, he paid the sin debt, buried three days later, rose again, and now God looks at you through his son and says, you know what? Cleansed, forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Why? Not because you worked for it, not because you went to church, but because you believe that Jesus paid it for you. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're forever part of God's family, all right? The past that seems so simple. Well, it is for us, but it sure was hard for Jesus because he had to pay the sin debt for all of us, right? He did the work so we don't have to. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer and let's be done today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for all that you've given to us. We're thankful for our time in the Word. We're thankful for the story. Why in the world is the, is the book of Ruth in the Bible? But Lord, you gave it to us today. We see a story of a woman with bitterness. If any of us are struggling with bitterness in our family, our friends, our relationship within our church, Lord, life's too short to go through with it. Help us to deal with it. It's a root, the Bible says, that causes mass destruction. It's a poison. Help us not to be bitter. We're Christians. We need to live better than that. We need to show the world that God is good all the time. And all the time, God, you're good. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. We're thankful that salvation is a free gift. Maybe someone here today is, is trusting in the fact that Jesus paid their sin debt, and all they have to do is to trust in that, rely upon that, depend upon that. Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner, I can't pay it, but I trust you as the payment for my sins. And they can know for certain right now, right where they're seated, right now, 
they will know for certain they have eternal life because they placed their trust in what Christ did. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us to be leaders. Help us to be examples. Help us to live with faith over fear. And we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.